This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Seasons change. Why not your tech? Upgrade now during the Dell Technology Sale event and save on select PCs like the XPS 16 powered by Intel Core processors. You'll be able to bring your most intensive projects to life with a built-in AI, minimalistic design, immersive visuals, and cinematic audio. When you shop on Online at dell.com forward slash deals you'll have access to the exceptional tech and electronics plus free shipping on everything amazing prices await you for a limited time only at dell.com forward slash deals that's dell.com forward slash deals this is the ed Milet show All right, welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm so excited to have this guest here today. By the way, she's made a huge sacrifice. She's what, At the time we're recording this, there's a storm where she lives in Texas. Snow's rolled in. There's no power. She went and got a hotel room so that we could do this today. <clears throat> so if you see the background, that's where she is. And uh, you wouldn't know it from the background, but this is one of the most remarkable people I've ever talked to in my life. I had the great honor of being on her show She's a cognitive neuroscientist, which just even saying those things is a miracle that I can get that out of my mouth, never mind understand what it is. Um, she's one of the most brilliant people you're ever going to meet in your life. She's a best-selling author. She's got a PhD in communication pathology. She's brilliant. And you're going to write a bunch of notes today. I mean, like a bunch of notes. So Dr. Caroline Leaf, thank you for being here and making the sacrifice to be here today. Oh, Ed, I wouldn't have missed this. So thank you so much for that lovely introduction. And, and I just absolutely love talking to you. We had the most amazing yeah. talk on when you when I interviewed you, and I think you're incredible as well. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't hold a candle to you of what we're going to talk about today, that's for sure. And we're going to talk a lot about your brain today. Um, she's an expert on memory. She's an expert on thinking. Um, she's also a woman of faith. She's very complex, interesting person and, uh, and and a pleasure to listen to, as you can already hear with that South African accent. So let's start out a little bit because we're going to talk about thinking. So I was thinking about thinking good. when I was preparing to talk with you. And I think it'd be a good place to start because I don't think most people understand it. What is a thought? Like, oh, how, how does a thought work? That is such a great question, and, and I'm really glad that you asked that because it's a good place to start. Okay, a thought is something that you actually build. It, it, so it's the consequence of three actions, and those actions are thinking, and when you think, you always you feel, and when you think and feel, you choose. Those three, like my fingers are like stuck together, those three always go together. You're always thinking. When you're thinking, you're always feeling. When you're thinking and feeling, you're always choosing. And that is mind. And when mind happens, which it always happens, you never, your mind is never not with you. You wake up with your mind, you go to bed with your mind, you get dressed with your mind, you eat with your mind, you have discussions with your mind, they're using your mind now. Your mind never stops. So you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing. And thinking and feeling and choosing has a consequence, and the consequence is a thought. So the thought is the result of thinking, feeling, and choosing. So during the course of the day, you think, feel, and choose in response to the experiences of life. 
It begins as you open your eyes in the morning. And at nighttime, when you close your eyes and go to sleep, then the, the, thing, the building part of thinking, feeling, and choosing, building, you think, feel, choose, and build thoughts all day long. And then at nighttime, your mind is still going, but now you're sorting out the thoughts that you've built. Kind of a housekeeping, regenerative function, why we dream, get prepared for the next day, and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So thought is a real thing that is holding the data of the experience. And it holds the data in terms of information and emotions because you think and feel and choose. So it's data and emotions. So a simple way to understand this is all the listeners and viewers now, as you introduced me, you would have like literally sown a seed in the ground to use that analogy of this is some kind of thing about thinking and mind and brain and whatever. And then as we're speaking, we're growing little roots. So as, as, as I'm speaking, they're growing roots. Those roots are protein structures and they are holding my words as vibrations. And as I'm giving more information, so you are growing more of these little protein branches in your brain and it's all connected and coordinated and you're doing it in your own unique way. So every listener would be building their own roots and it's, it's filled with data and emotions because you're thinking and feeling and choosing as you're listening to me. And then you grow like a little tree trunk, which is your angle, how you view this information. And then that produces little branches with leaves. And I've got some analogies here. Here's a, here's a thought, that's what a thought looks like. The roots you can't see, but there's the little tree trunk and there's the branches with the leaves. And the branches with the leaves are the memories of how you are seeing this information. So it's the behaviors and the motions of how you see this information. So my words are down here in the roots and yes. your interpretation are in the branches and the leaves. And so that whole thing is a thought and like a tree is made of branches and roots. So a thought is made of root memories and branch memories. And collectively this then produces what you say and what you do, it produces your actions. So everything that you do, all your communication, your writing, speaking, talking, running, dancing, jumping, relationship, work, all of that stuff is coming from thoughts that we've built. And we're doing this all day long. We're building thoughts. And then at night, we sort the thoughts out. And that's a healthy thought for the viewers and those that can't see, if there's some just on audio, this is a toxic tree, a toxic thought. So I'm using a, a wiry thought, also yeah. a tree, but you can see it's very much the living dead Game of Thrones stuff. <laughs> so yeah. it's very much alive, but there's the roots, the trunk and the, and the trees. In your brain, your tr thoughts look like trees. That's why we say that thoughts have an arbor-like structure, tree-like structure. Yeah. And in um, and this is healthy. Our brain is wired for for this. It's not wired for this. This is a good, a nice folded protein, nice balanced chemicals, all the right stuff. And this is un incorrectly folded proteins and chemicals and creates a massive response in our immune system in the brain, which thinks that this is something like COVID. It doesn't like... Um, this at all. So the immune system will send out the same kind of um, immune army, the B, B, B and T lymphocytes and macrophages and all that kind of thing to fight this toxic thought in the same way it will fight COVID or any virus in your body. So that's how real they are. Wow. Okay. So let's <laughs> unpack that a little bit. So first, think, feel, choose is something everybody can take from this right now and understand that you're processing information that way. This idea okay. of the root with the tree is brilliant. I, even, I understand that. So I'm still with you. You got it. And, um, but, you know, when you and I have talked in the past, I want to ask you about this. So it sounds to me as if past experience, past thought informs future thought. Absolutely. If we're, not, if we're not conscious of it. So let's assume I have a pattern of responding to stimulus in a particular way because of this roots gotten bigger and bigger and the trees gotten bigger and bigger. And so these past experiences, these past thoughts are informing how I think, feel and choose currently. 
how does one overcome the negative implications potentially if they're toxic thoughts uh, of not doing detrimental damage to us now? Excellent question as well. So they, they, you're totally correct. Our, every experience we have is basically built into our brain and into our mind. So already the implication of what I'm saying is that mind and brain are not the same thing. So we can go there in a moment, but to, to, to answer your question, we have to be, uh, we, we, and when I say we, we with our thinking, feeling, choosing. So we, you, me, that's mind. So we've got this part of our mind that's what I like to call the wise mind. It's this instinct that we just know. It's, it, for example, it's like when you someone comes to you for advice and you just give them the, this great advice and there's just this, wow, I didn't even know I knew that. Or you have a great conversation or something like that. There's this, this instinct inside of us of what's right. okay, And that's what I call the wise mind. And that's thinking, feeling, choosing. So we've got this at our core. And so we're drawing on that, that, that sort of that wise mind psychologically is a gravitational field scientifically and that we use to then self-regulate the stuff that's driving us crazy or the bad habits we've got or the whatever so mm. we have to get into a system of mind management we need to manage our minds through self-regulation and we see from neuroscience and from mind brain integration research which has been my field for nearly 40 years now that we can do that every 10 seconds I'm not asking you to check on your watch, like on your Apple watch every 10 seconds or your timer. I'm just saying basically we be supposed to be when you're conscious, you should always be self-regulating to the extent where, like, for example, now we're talking. So whoever's listening, whoever's watching, just look at your hands, look at your facial expression, look, be aware of your body movements, be aware of the impact of what you're saying and how you're saying it or how you're listening. I'm, look, I'm watching all of that at the moment while I'm speaking. I'm extremely aware of it because I'm saying it. I'm looking at your face. I'm seeing your responses. So that self-regulation is what we should be doing all the time. When you self-regulate yourself like that, you'll self-regulate how you're thinking, feeling, and choosing in response to every experience, the conversation, the things that irritate you, the things that frustrate you, the patterns in your life. You'll start seeing, oh, I always respond in this way yes. when this kind of thing happens, or my husband or wife or business partner or child or whatever. We always seem to have the same kind of argument. There's a pattern. So you can start identifying the toxic patterns when you self-regulate. So and then you can start identifying the repetition, and then you can start thinking, observing, for example, that maybe you highly anxious five times a day or almost every day or all. So you start seeing these patterns in your life and all yes. those patterns, that's self-regulation. Caroline's so brilliant that I want to unpack. She, she can say eight incredibly powerful things and I don't want to, I don't want to go over all of them and go to the next thing because I want to go deeper on them. So um, you talk about the difference between the mind and the brain. I'd like to yes. just have you just mention that. And then you teach like I think you call it like five steps to mind management. Yes, the neuroscience. So give us a quick, what's the difference between brain and mind? And what are these five steps to managing our mind? Okay. Maybe you just listed a few of them there, but I, I like lists. So I'm just wondering what those Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the five steps we, we call the neuroscience, well, I call it the neurocycle. So with your mind, you're cycling through your brain. You, you're directing the neuroplasticity, which is really nice to know. You can actually direct changes in your brain. So my whole premise is that if you are always, your mind is always working and it's always changing the brain and it's always happening, can we direct that process? So for three, 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 almost four decades now, I've been researching that. And the answer is yes. And that's what's in the book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. So if you add the neurocycle to your lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle, you actually 
will literally improve your ability to manage your mind by 81% and more, which is phenomenal because it means that you influence cellular health through the telomeres, which we can unpack as well. Um, you can reduce inflammation, you can improve your immune function, your cardiovascular function, neurological kidney, lung, everything about your body will respond to mind management because your mind basically is driving all those functions anyway. Your gut health, your gut-brain interaction, all of it isn't happening if you're dead, your brain and body are dead. So what What's keeping what's the difference between a dead person and an alive person mind so if mind is messy brain and body are messy if mind is cleaned up and it's a process because we're all going to be messy because we have free will and part of getting a, a mind sorted out man part of mind management is dealing with the mental mess it's accepting i'm going to be make bad decisions i'm going to get into arguments i am going to make you know misunderstand people i am going to have acute traumas and toxic traumas and imposter syndrome and people pleasing and all the stuff all of us go through in different ways so i'm going to have that and it's okay but how am i going to manage it yeah. so for me personally what's happened over the years is that i still go through these things but the difference is i'm 81 percent more efficient in identifying and managing so instead of something that could throw me years ago for days and affect my work and everything i can deal with it within seconds and minutes and get back on track so that's one part of the answer so before i go to my brain do you want to ask anything or unpack anything with what I no, said. I, are there are there specifically five things like it are going a sequence? Yes, it's a sequence. So so before I tell the sequence, let me tell you mind brain because it'll make so much more sense. Okay. Because I've said alluded to it a lot. So your mind is separate from your brain, but inseparable. So the what is the brain? The brain and mind are not the same thing. Got it. Um, and the the brain and body collectively are made of thirty seven to one hundred trillion cells, and your mind is and and then that those thirty seven to one hundred trillion cells arrange themselves into this incredible the brain and, and the heart and the lungs etc and your mind is what actually is the external force that keeps them going the blood flowing the chemicals electricity the electromagnetics all of that which is phenomenal so that's why if our mind's not managed the body and the brain will be a mess mm. and so and that goes down to even like if you are eating if you're eating maybe eating a farm to table wonderful diet etc but you're not dealing with your anxiety or you're not you're just trying to stuff it down or you're not dealing with that bad habit or that toxic you will lose up to 80% of the nutrition because wow. your mind has affected the ability of the digestive system to actually digest and get the assimilate the nutrients. And sometimes it's kind of messy and sometimes it's great. And we all, if we're human, we are going to experience messes and there's no shame in that. The sooner we get rid of the shame and guilt and condemnation around being messy, and the sooner we as leaders talk about the mind more authentically, we more, the more we give people that follow us a permission to talk about mind. Only 3% of leaders are talking about mind, which is terrible. Mm. So that doesn't, that's creating the stigma that they're pretending that we're perfect. And that's why we see people that seem to be perfect in their lives and they're committing suicide. Meanwhile, it's because we've got this philosophy in this day and age of not being open and seeing um, issues of the mind as helpful messengers of an underlying issue. The neurocycle then is these five steps. It is how you manage your mind moment by moment. So it's a lifestyle. So the neurocycle is what you do when you're awake and, and conscious, and it then automatically prepares you for sleep because sleep is fixing up your brain. So your mind is always with you. So your mind always needs to be managed. And so an analogy, and then I'll dive into the five steps. You can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds without using your mind. 
So you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing. Yeah. So it's gather awareness. Second step is to reflect. Third step is to write. Fourth step is to recheck. And the fifth step is an act of reach. So each of those, they're so profound. They do the most phenomenal stuff in your brain. And the first half of the book where I talk about the mental health system and I talk about my clinical trials, I do explain what each of those steps are doing. So the first thing is to gather awareness. Gather awareness, and I've chosen words very carefully. If you think of a big fat apple tree and you're apple picking, and this apple tree is so full that you actually can't, like you just go up to and you just nudge it and this apples are just falling on your head. That's how we often feel when we, our mind's a mess. It's just Everything's just falling on our head and it's just too much. So what you can do with a neurocycle is when you feel that situation coming on, remove yourself from the tree and stand back and watch the tree yes. and gather awareness of all of that. Don't be scared of it. Don't run away from the apple tree. Just stand back and observe the apple tree. Observe what's going on there. Let me jump in about that. This is brilliant. One of the things I've taught for a long time, I didn't understand the neuroscience behind it was that for me, and there's four other steps. This is why everybody needs to get the book, but awareness of your thoughts. I've always said when I'm aware of these patterns, when I'm aware of my thoughts, they begin to lose their power over me their influence over me. And one of the reasons that, that you're, you're explaining it scientifically, which I've always wanted to understand better because I do become separate from the thought when I observe it, almost like I'm above it and distant from it, like you said. And I realize I'm not just that thought and that it is a pattern that I'm running. And so I just want to acknowledge what Caroline's saying because from a practical standpoint, when I coach people, this is something that is the first thing I teach is just becoming aware. Now to know that there's four other steps is obviously very empowering as well, but and I want to just unpack this a little bit into another area. So I want to use your brilliance towards something else. One thing I want to acknowledge is that what Caroline is saying is that neuroplasticity is real, that mind can change matter, that literally that these thoughts, if you change them, change the protein structures in your brain, change the matter of your brain. So this is powerful to know that we can physically change our brain by using our mind. And this distinction between the mind and the brain is also a breakthrough way of listening to it or seeing it for me, as I'm sure it is for everybody else. Just those things alone, just those two things alone have made our time already incredibly invaluable for me and anybody listening to it. But as in terms of patterns and awareness and the power that these patterns can have over us, I'm a big believer that identity drives so much of our lives. Mm, and mm. you being, I'm just, I've heard you talk about this briefly, but you know, I think we all are trying to become consistent with whatever this identity is that we think mm -hmm. we hold for ourselves. And sometimes the lack of an identity is, is unbelievably detrimental to someone's yeah. life. And I've heard you talk about this being from South Africa and watching what they tried to do with Mandela Mm -hmm. And and so could you speak for a minute about the power that identity has over us and a little bit of how we can at least be more aware of the identity we hold and how we can change it to serve us if we need to? Love your question. It's brilliant. And it's so important. Um, yes, I grew up, I was born in Zimbabwe and that had enough, that country alone had enough problems and still has, and then grew up in South Africa and all my kids were born there. And we've been in the States now for 13 years. So I was in South Africa in the apartheid era and the transition and the post. And so by the time I was had my first child, my second child, that Mandela came into power, we actually, I was carrying my ba newborn baby and in the 
to go vote for Mandela, literally, and with our with our housekeeper, and you know th that's how significant that is in my in my lifetime. But I was working in the pre-apartheid, if the pre-transition in the I mean the, the the apartheid era, and it was horrific. I I chose to I worked across all socioeconomic strata and different political areas. So from the riches of the rich to the poorest of the poor, education, corporate. And I spent three days a week working in the what they called the townships, which were areas that they had to apartheid separated out, absolutely evil. And the reason I chose to, to work in all the different environments was to understand mind and humanity. So wherever you are, whatever you're in, how does this work and how can we how can we use our mind to help us cope with all these different circumstances? So in terms of identity, absolutely what you experience. Um, in your nurturing and in your and in the environment that you grow up in, is definitely going to affect how you see yourself because every experience is a, is converted through think, feel, yeah. choose into brain. Yeah. So you can imagine a massive forest, which is your yeah. non-conscious mind, N O N, and that massive forest is filled with all different shapes and sizes of trees, and in between the green trees, you've got these little black trees, and maybe there's a big clump, and maybe there's a little one, and some trees are little, and some green little black trees from a recent experience and some very big ones from long established experience. So something like racism would be a very, very dominant cluster of dark black trees oozing the warning signal of all the anxiety and the stress and the terrible things that come from something as evil as racism, which is pervasive mm -hmm. and affecting ability to actually how you see yourself. And so every bit of nurturing is built into your brain. Every experience is built into your brain. So this forest is influencing in the middle of the forest, just to give a visual, we have this wide full of optimism bias. So I always explain it like a strip of trees that are perfect. So in the middle of the forest, there's this untouched area that's just perfect. And that's we want. we want to really access that. So if you're flying your helicopter, which is you in life, you're flying your helicopter and you kind of, if you, as you develop self-regulation, you don't just fly your helicopter and bash into a tree and crash, which is what you, we do a lot of. That's messy. We, we, want to, we want to know how to not do that. So self-regulation teaches us how to fly with a pilot and co-pilot. So we're flying over this forest and we're looking at where whatever, the, whatever smoke signals are coming up, where, where are the signals. And if you see there that there's so much of that particular type of black cluster of trees dark and that's influencing how you see yourself your identity has been affected but if you look at your if you really dig deep and you, you'll see the middle part of the forest which is you it's ed who can do something else that no one else can do but there's these traumatic experiences that are affecting identity so they can block and they can become so big that they can actually build a like a black wall against the green forest so it's almost hard to see who you really are because you're so busy and um, being involved in that that you're stuck in that cluster. So that's why I say you've got self-regulation is not sitting and walking amongst those trees and getting lost, which is what we do, but it is actually getting in the helicopter and flying above and saying, okay, self-regulate. What am I doing? What am, what's, what, why? And, and, you, and the only way you can get to the trees and the forest and all that stuff is by looking at the warning signals. So these we track. And then, so then you would Pay attention, gather awareness of four basic signals. The first is the emotional. So let's say that you're feeling a high state of anxiety that could be or depression. Now, depression and anxiety are not it's, they're not illnesses. To say you have clinical depression or clinical anxiety is one of the most unscientific statements of our age and has created a huge problem where people are now way, batting way more with mental health, not because mental health is on the rise, but because the mismanagement of mental health is on the rise. We're not allowing people to talk about the story in the forest. We're just saying, oh, signal of depression, 
five symptoms, you can't sleep, you can't get out of bed, you're feeling um, whatever, suicidal, whatever. Okay, diagnosis, label, treatment is mainly medication at the current stage is the gold standard. Some therapy if you're lucky. Okay, and that very often the therapy is putting a band-aid on the wound because they don't deal with the whole origin story. That's terrible. What we have to do is we have to say, okay, so there is the signal. There is this emotion of depression. It's consistent in your life or anxiety or both. Very often it's comorbid together and terror and despair and anger and a whole bunch of others. It's never just one. So all of this is giving you power and giving you control, shifting the power balance. When you do this gather in this way, and I'll finish the other three in a moment, you are making 1400 neurophysiological responses work for you and not against you. Your blood vessels around your heart are dilating, which is sending blood flow and oxygen to your brain. That's increasing your ability to think more, more creatively. It's decreasing impulsivity. I can go on and on and on. And now my body is in a state of healing. But when I suppress it, if I don't gather awareness, if I just suppress it, my 1400 neurophysiological responses will work against me. So now my blood vessels around my heart, for example, one of the 1400 will constrict. That means less blood flow, less oxygen to the brain, increased impulsivity, decreased cognitive flexibility. That's just a few. There's a, a, a lot more that I'm just giving a few not to overwhelm. So I, I, I stay in a state of increased vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98% if I don't gather awareness. But if I gather awareness, I shift that. The moment I gather awareness, in milliseconds, I've gone from brain damage to brain healing. In seconds. Wow. In milliseconds. It's phenomenal. This is how important mind management is. So then I gather, and this is not hard. It is hard, but it's not hard. It's hard because we, we have got very... We just want to, we want quick fixes. There's no quick fix when right. it comes to mind. This is a lifestyle. So you gather awareness of your emotional stuff, the depression, anxiety, label it, be specific. Um, then you're going to gather awareness of your physical state, heart fluttering, GI symptoms, tension in your shoulders. What is physically going on alongside this em emotional stuff? Could be a series of things. There's no, there's no cookie cutter, anything. You're unique. You, you have a unique signal guide. Then you're going to look at your behavioral signals. In other words, what are you doing? How are you speaking? How are you How are you connecting with others? How are you doing your work? How are you just with yourself, all the behaviors? How are you speaking? How are you, whatever? What's your creativity like? So what are your behaviors when you're in this state? And then you're going to go to your perspective. As I start getting specific about looking at these emotional, physical, and behavioral warning signals. I'm actually looking at the branches. I'm looking at this, these, because they have memories. The mm. thought tree is made of memories. So I'm, the signals have drawn me in and those have been these, what I've just described. But now as I land my tree, I'm starting to look a little closer at these signals. And so now I also want to look at what my perspective is. What is the tree trunk? What's the perspective of what's this giving me? Life sucks or I hate life or yeah. it's not worth living or there's just no purpose or what's the, then you start that's So by the time you've done that, you've objectively gathered all these apples in your basket. You control them. Now you go to looking at the detail. What is, does this mean? What's the data? That's when you reflect. So reflect is ask, answer, discuss, ask, answer, discuss, put the thoughts on trial, do that autopsy, that mental brain surgery without the blood. Why? And then you answer why and you discuss why and you dig, dig, dig. Anyway, so when you write, you can write in lines, but I would recommend you learn how to make a metacog. It is unbelievable. In therapy, when I used to still practice, we would have people battling with schizophrenia, which is not a disease. It is a broken mind. It is someone who's gone through so much trauma that they're disassociating, their minds disassociated. It's a symptom of 
of an underlying trauma. And very often they can get multiple personalities because it's coping, it's pure survival. So the system of the neurocycle in the extreme form, we would use that. And by the time we got to writing, I could show, I could have a subject who had split their personality, their minds because of trauma as they're writing onto the medic in the medical, which is a pattern in the med middle on branches, like a tree, like a branch grows, each branch grows out the previous branch and leaves are growing on the branches. That's what you do. You grow branches and you put your words on the branches and you, you just like literally pour your brain on paper. As we did this, we would, the, the sub patients would actually see, oh, same, con they're talking about the same thing, but suddenly there's three different perspectives. The fourth step is then to recheck. It's to look at what you've written. The third step's messy. It's like words all over the place. The fourth step is where you start connecting. What are the patterns? What is the antidote? What is the, what do I need to reconceptualize, see it differently? It's, if we use an algebraic example, we all probably remember X plus Y equals Z, even if we didn't understand it. I'm sure all of us can recall X plus Y equals Z. And the concept there is that X plus Y creates something kind of new that's over, it's like sort of replaces. I'm not saying that, I'm saying X plus Y equals XY. Reconceptualization is XY. Because it's your story that you don't want to just, is it I'm putting a Band-Aid on, I'm not fixing the issue. And that's what, if you just, if you just do like 10 CBT, you know, cognitive behavior therapy, not that I'm saying it's bad, you can use CBT, but CBT fits in step five, if you want it to work for you, you've got to first find out what's going on. And then you, but if you just, or positive affirmations, people use, uh, they're feeling terrible, or they want to achieve a goal, 10 of those in the morning, 10 at night, they, it's a band-aid, it's not going to be sustainable, because you have to find out what you, what are you trying to drown with the affirmation? So you want the affirmation to work, you have to go through the neurocycle, then the affirmation will work as a first step. You know, that's how you've got to change perspective. There's so much in there to unpack that I don't, I want everybody to do is go back and replay that because there's so much in there. And also you have to have the book too, so that some of these things that, you know, that are on the surface while we're doing this now go much when you're in the book. But I want to ask you, we're getting so deep into the science of it. One of the things that I'm going to go a completely different direction with you. For oh, a minute. So one of the things that fascinates me about you is that as I've learned more is, you're also a person of faith, not religion, so to speak, I don't think, yeah. but faith. <laughs> and um, frankly, most of my uh, scientist friends, even my science friends, not all of them, so this isn't a fair statement, but yeah. I think you would agree with me that by yeah. and large, there's usually two camps of people in life. Absolutely. There's sort of faith-based and science-based. And that's not, that's that's too big of a general statement. But it's because true. I have, right, it's by and large, I have all kinds of friends. Who are very scientifically based, including myself, yeah. who have incredibly faith. But you are a little bit that you understand so much about the brain. And I'm wondering for you, uh, I've always felt like my thoughts are prayers. I've felt that Love way. That. That thoughts, That's beautiful. Thoughts are prayers. Is there any validity to that being true? Because prayer is such a deep state of consciousness and diet. And then is there anything particularly about maybe organized religion in general, you think maybe gets it wrong. So it's kind of two questions mm, in one. Mm. And I'm just curious of your thoughts about both of them, because I mm. just personally, I'm fascinated by that. Both you live in both worlds, as do I. So I'm just curious. 
I love it. I love how you, I love that you've asked that question. And for me, it's the, the most obvious answer because spirituality and science are one and the same thing. So if you think of like all the what? beautiful, okay. all the, they're just two sides of the same coin. But if you think of it like the spirituality is like a story, the philosophy. And if you look at all like the Bible and, and the Torah and the Quran, you, all the holy books of all the different religions, whichever religion, and the, just the diversity of all the religions is an indication of how magnificently huge humanity is and that there's something that's beyond. That's how I see it. So the diversity is, is so beautiful and how all across the whole world, every culture has some belief system that goes beyond just me here. And that's, that for me is spirituality. And, I don't, and, and that's where it goes to even the second answer first is that I think organized religion is just man trying to get control. But when, and if they want to do it and it keeps them being a loving person, great. And if they are an accepting person of other religions, fantastic. The problem of organized religion comes in when they say this is the only way, because there's no ways that there is only one way because there's so many different people. There's something you can do that no one else on this planet can do so if it doesn't do it we all suffer so there's a viewpoint and every the beauty of the diversity is different ways of seeing the different facets of what i would call godness so i talk about godness as opposed to god and limiting god how so many religions will say he i never understand he even in the bible it says male god made in god's image male and female so obviously god's not male or female gods, a combination of what we don't understand. So the beauty of spirituality is we just don't understand it. And to try and understand it is to lose, to miss it. And to see that it's this incredibly beautiful beyond the sunset, the falling in love, the having a child, the the, the rising from the ashes, the you know the the ex agreeing to disagree, seeing different ways of doing different things, seeing that that is not just one type of that is spirituality, and that's the story. It's the beautiful story of humanity. Science is how it all works. How does the world work? How does the brain work? How does the mind work? How do we as humans? work and how does the world work so you can't separate them because you are a human and if you believe in 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 whatever you believe in you you still are a human with a brain so science still applies to you because you're a human you use your cell phone you're using science you eat food you, you that's science you are parenting a child or you are running a business that's science science comes from the word sclera which means knowledge so everything that we gain everything you're a scientist i'm a scientist we just science and we just both have knowledge of different fields you know so if you look at it like that it's about knowledge the how to and then the story of and you put the two together you have a beautiful complex humanity the reason I wanted to ask Caroline this guy's going to jump in is because she said this on stage with one of the most powerful and well-known pastors in the world in a conversation that I watched. And I know you know the conversation I'm talking yes. about, Caroline. And, and uh, he responded like I did because I'm a Christian and that's an organized religion. When I yes. say organized religion, I don't mean it in the way that most people do. I mean more like the doctrine particular yes. church as opposed to an organized doctrine of a religion. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. People know that that follow me, yeah. but I'm open and uh, love people of all faiths, but I believe in an organized religion. But oftentimes, you know, certain specific churches will, yes. you know, um, certain scriptures to an extreme. One of the things that she was talking about with one of the, with this particular pastor was, and he even said that sometimes, you know, the bad things that happen in our life, it's very easy if you just blame it on the devil or blame it on exactly. this. But what if it, what if it wasn't just the devil? It happened to be that you're thinking in a toxic way. And so there is this, and I want to bridge that yeah. gap between people that are strong believers and yeah. 
and science. Like I believe there's a quantum field. I just happen to believe the creator Absolutely. of the universe created this larger field that we can plug into that has vibrational frequency. Exactly, exactly. And things. And, and so I'm, I want to make sure my audience knows I'm a strong believer in my faith at the same yes. time. And I'm a strong believer in the organized structure of Christianity for me. But yeah. what I... What I think sometimes, I think you do too, sometimes though, particular churches, every church anybody's ever gone to, no matter what their faith is, there's a slant. There's a, a reliance on maybe one version of mm -hmm. scripture or a belief than other. And I make sure that sometimes that doesn't blunt people understanding that they have thoughts. They still control it specifically. They can still gain, to your point, science, more knowledge. I do the program. For me, the more I learn, about the nuances and the sophistication, the intricacies of the brain and neuroscience yeah. makes me more reliant that there must be a creator of this magnificent structure. Exactly. We, we exactly. have a very, mm -hmm. very basic understanding of. And so when you're hearing scientific things like this, for me, it strengthens my face. What an amazing God I must have to create these amazing beings that we all are that function the way we are. And I that God wants us to function at a higher level for his good, for the service of you. And the more we understand ourselves, the more we understand our mind and the difference in our mind, our thought, the trees, and the, all of the stuff that we're talking about here, field, the more you become great at these things, you can serve your God better, it, it, your version of God. So I just want to make sure Thank I you. said that today because it's you see so fascinating to me in this regard. Okay, a couple more things because we're going to run out of time and like – I love this stuff. Is there one or two? Can I, can I interrupt you for one second? Sorry, I wanted to yes. throw in to yes. add to that there. If you think of yes. the, um, the, I mean, I was just teaching in a church this last Sunday. I teach all over the place, neuroscience conferences, churches, medical communities. Yes. I, I teach humanity. Yes. I teach humanity. Yes. And one of the things, what do we think we're doing here? We're capturing, we're bringing all thoughts into captivity. We're renewing yes. the mind. So the, if you want to know the science of how to do that, you know, the, that, that's a, that's a, the statement that people will make. Oh, bring all thoughts, but they're not doing it. So here I'm telling you how to do it. So that's where the Bible tells the story. Science is how to do it. Yes. And then you, and we dawn, when we talk about wired for love and survival and that forest through the middle, that's our made in love image, which is perfection. But we have, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So we can choose. So that's why we make a mess in the outer forest. And that's why we have to go into our wisdom forest to go fix up the outer forest. So there's kind of a, if you want a more spiritual angle to what I teach. No, I love that. And I want people <laughs> to know that you do as well. And this really strong belief. I don't like this battle between the two, which to me is just ridiculous. Like yeah. this beautiful brain that Caroline has tapped into that is her to serve us, to serve one another so that we can live longer and so that we can live more productively and we can be kinder to one another and we can understand ourselves. And the more and more I've understood how my mind works and I've changed myself through lots of techniques like she teaches, I frankly feel like I've been, you know, I sin all the time still, but I, but I feel like I'm a better man of God. I understand human beings better. I have more empathy. I have more faith because I understand these things. And so they're not one or the other. They're both, as you've said. Two sides but of the same coin. Can you give us one or two brain rituals for brain health? Just rituals for brain health. One or two things we do on a regular basis. Okay, well, the neurocycle goes without saying. That's your number one. We, yeah, need, to, we need to get into that's the main. That is the main thing that you want to be doing all the time because that's constantly driving your mind and driving neuroplasticity. So you're linking into the spiritual and you're driving that healthy spiritual through the brain to get the brain healing like it should. So that brings brain healing. And so that in addition to that, you can do your brain preparation. And brain preparation, 
meditation would include things like deep breathing and there's different types of breathing. So one of the techniques that, um, that I've kind of combined and research, which is so powerful, is um, is this combination where you would breathe in for three counts, but and then you breathe out for seven. So it's a 10 sec, I call it the 10 second pause. So you're breathing in for three, a deep inhalation, but you're exhaling for seven. And the reason you exhale for longer and you really whoosh it out, you really push it out like that yogi breath, you really push it out that ocean breath at the back of your throat, is that that pushes the oxygen to the front of your brain. And the minute you upload oxygen, oxygen to the front of your brain, you almost like have to shake your head because you feel lightheaded. You have increased your, um, you've dropped impulsiveness and you've increased your introspective ability. So you're wiser, you've increased your wisdom and you've also calmed down your chemicals that will then calm down your entire brain and body, which then makes you much more able to think clearly. So if you do that at least six to nine times, so for 60 to 90 seconds, you are going to put your brain health in a very ideal state to do the neurocycle. But at any stage, if you need to calm down in the moment, that's a great 60 to 90 second thing. So in for three, out for seven. And then you can add to make it even more powerful. You can add a cognitive component. You can take the words of the mind. Remember, mind is how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. The three work together. So you can add, You can you, when you breathe in, when you inhale for three, you say think, feel. And then as you exhale, you say choose. So it's think, feel choose and as you do that you can do it quietly in your mind or out loud you are bringing in a cognitive component factor so you're forcing mind brain integration you're forcing inter interhemispheric uh, coherence which means left right will work together you are balancing all, all the waves of your brain which is alpha, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. You're increasing theta as well, which is a healing wave. You're increasing gamma, which increases cre creativity. So the, that, does that give, does that answer your question or do you want more? Thank you. No, thank you. I mean, I, you're just such a treasure. Like the, I don't like, I don't want to end the interview because I want to just keep asking you things because there's, there's, there's maybe the only person on the spitting earth who can answer these things the way that you do. But I want to finish with something that I find when I coach people holds them and, and I think that maybe you can help me help other people and just help anybody listening to it. And this is this idea of cognitive dissonance. And I think Christian. what holds people back, and you can explain it differently than I can, but it's holding, you, you, know, you talked about coherence a minute ago, mm -hmm. getting both sides mm -hmm. of the brain working mm -hmm. together. It's another type of coherence though, or incoherence or incongruency, where we hold two conflicting thoughts for everybody. I want to be a multimillionaire, but there's this other part of you that thinks rich people get there by doing bad things. And so these are two mm -hmm. thoughts in conflict. And so it's great to have a, 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 a positive thought. This cognitive dissonance issue, which she's holding up both trees if you're listening to the audio, the healthy one and the toxic one. Is there a, she's doing this, so this is the root of the, the basically we go to the the, the root of your work, so to speak, root pun intended, right? Because of the trees. Is there people aware be holding these two thoughts, not just a positive and negative, but they are in conflict with one another, which is different. You can have a positive and a negative thought, but when two thoughts contradict one another, I think you're wired for pain potentially, and you're wired to sort of chase your tail, so to speak. So if someone's sitting here going, well, heck, that's me, like, no question at all. Like, I want to be in a loving relationship, but I don't think I deserve to be loved. Those are two thoughts in conflict with one another. What would you say lastly to somebody who not, and even as I've said it, are starting to become aware of other conflicting thoughts they have. 
What would you say to somebody like that? First of all, that it's very normal. We all have it because we're all dealing with so much stuff. So it's very much because we can make choices and because there's so many options and there's that, that's why. So it's very normal. So just to, it's so important that we don't get frightened and, and, um, get into guilt, shame and condemnation because we do, every time we do something wrong because of, or unfortunately, because of our neuroreductionistic world that we live in and quick fix world. And like, you know, what's wrong with you if you haven't said enough gratitude statements, or if you haven't in the religious yeah. world, you know, where's your faith? And so there's a lot of toxic positivity in both the religious world and the psychological and the scientific world where you're supposed to be in this day and age. So that leads to a lot of cognitive dissonance. So first of all, I want to normalize it, which immediately people should be going, phew, I'm not the only one. As soon as you do that, you've already started shifting brain processes and brain health. The other thing is that this is what we wired for. So if I'm in cognitive dissonance and the one is saying you, this is this and, the, and then the other one is saying the opposite, then you have to use this to fix this. You have to go through the neurocycle. You can, it's going to take you 63 days, but you don't ignore this. You land your helicopter and you start doing the work and you start working out why is there this dissonance? Why is there this, this cognitive dissonance where I'm thinking one thing, but I'm doing another? Why well, I know I should be doing that, but I can't do that. Or I believe whatever, anything that's in opposition, um, that because th this is the wise mind. Your cognitive dissonance is the wise mind and some kind of experience that has led to the growth of this thought that is impacting your behavior. So what we want to do is find out what, where does this come from and how can I reconceptualize it so that I can operate in this accurate truth? So when you, yeah, so that's it. So you just, you got to do the work of the, it's not going to go away in five minutes. I would recommend landing the helicopter, do the neurocycle over the 63 days. I have to tell you the two things that I took from today because I have read the book and so I'm aware of the five steps and there's two things I took from today I just want to share with everybody. Well, three. One is that you're even more brilliant than I knew. <laughs> it's more incredible than I knew. But two things. One, I'm driving the helicopter. Yep. So, and so are you all. You're driving that helicopter so you can get above these things and look down at them and you can park the helicopter and do the work. And that's important to know because I think sometimes we think the helicopter drives us yes. and that's not the case. And, I, and, then, and then I think probably, you know, there's a lot of different things you shared today, but I think the second one for me is that I can get above these thoughts and that they can lose their power over me. I've always sort of known that to some extent, mm -hmm. but I don't think I understand the extent that you've said this today. And I just really want to thank you. I, I think today was one of the most remarkable conversations. I, 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 I know it's one of those people are going to have to go back and listen to again because of because of the depth of it but i just think you're unbelievable i want people following you should just start at instagram i mean they should get your books but should they go to instagram to uh, to follow you there is that the best place probably? yeah go to instagram dr caroline leaf because from there you can get to everything and the book yeah. is at, doc, at cleaning up your, this name of the book cleaning up your mental mess.com i've got a podcast as you know you've been on it cleaning up your mental mess but that's a great place instagram the book book cleaning up your mental mess.com Guys, she's unbelievable. She's one of a kind. I'm just Aww. telling you, which is why I'm so grateful to have had a chance to uh, share this experience with all of you guys here today. So thank you, Caroline. And I can't wait to have you back again, because this is this is easily one part of like a 10 part conversation know that for sure. So thank you so much. Ed. Thank you. I love your questions. You always ask such insightful questions. And we, we do we have a great conversation, we could just keep going and going. So I'd love yeah. to come back. Thank you we, so much. We're gonna have dinner. It's gonna be like a five hour dinner. So I think I'll, so. Yeah, I would, maybe we should just like make it an all day thing that it starts in the morning. And we just like end at night, you know, <laughs> I would love that if they record it, we can put it out. And it'll get, get help there a lot of go. people. But even if they don't, it would serve me. So thank you uh, so much. No, Everybody, 
everybody, please share the show with anybody you care about that you think this would benefit. And uh, if you're listening to the audio version, go over to YouTube and subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, click on an audio platform and listen to the audio versions of this so you can get it as you travel as well. God bless you all and Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show. We are the